we are continuing to be at this place of Jesus' interaction with the Jewish leaders uh, during the Feast of Booths that we've examined over the past couple weeks. And there are some who have begun to believe in Jesus, and this is what he says to them, starting in verse 30 of John chapter 8. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pause and pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us, that we would teach us what it means to abide in you, what it means to know you what it means to worship you, what it means to live according to your word. So, Father, we ask that you would teach us through it by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not everyone who believes in Jesus is truly a disciple of Jesus. Over the course of the book of John, John and Jesus have been making clear, and they've been really trying to convince people, to believe in Jesus and convincing people of what it means to believe in Jesus and what belief in Jesus actually entails. And increasingly, Jesus is making it clear that he is more concerned with discipleship and being a true disciple than just with professing a belief. We come to this passage and we see Jesus talking to the Jews and it tells us at the beginning that this is a group of people in verse 30 who believed in him. After he was saying these things, many believed in him. What were these things? Jesus' statement that I am the light of the world. I am the living water. Whoever comes to me and drinks will never be thirsty. And it says, after he was saying these things, many people believed in him. So Jesus turns to those who had believed in him. He turns to these new believers and he begins to instruct them about the nature of true discipleship. But John calls them believers. And here's what the rest of this chapter indicates to us and instructs about these who are true, these believers. In verse 34, he tells us that they are slaves to sin. Verse 37, it says that these believers are indifferent to Jesus' word. In verse 44, Jesus tells us that these believers are actually children of the devil. Verse 55, Jesus says that they're liars. In verse 59, He charges them and exposes that they're guilty of mob tactics and trying to get him killed. Which Jesus' point as we enter into this is that not everyone who believes and who says they believe is truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if I'm honest, there is everything in my being and in my world that rebels against truly being a disciple of Jesus. We rebel against this idea. In fact, we've been ingrained in it, and we actually teach our, we teach our children to be ingrained with this idea. It started, you know, when I got a shot when I was a kid, 
And my parents said something to me that I've subsequently said to, said to my own kids after they got a shot. As I turned to them and I said, okay, honey, what, what type of lollipop do you want? Why don't you pick out a lollipop? Do you want a pink lollipop, a yellow lollipop? Do you, do you, want, a, do you want a green lollipop? Which one, which one do you want? There's a book that describes, it's a book that's written for people who are coming to America. And they're, they're uh, what they need to know about American culture, how they need to adjust to American culture. And one of the things that instructs in this book is it says Americans are radically committed to their independence and radically committed to their individual expressions and their individual fulfillment. So much so, do not be surprised, this is educating the rest of the world, do not be surprised that if you actually see American parents offering their kids the choice of which lollipop they want, they will actually say, which flavor, which flavor do you want? And they will respect the individual choice of that child. Other things you need to know about American culture is that American cultures, they, this book goes on to say, um, is that you need to be, don't be surprised about how um, American parents don't teach their children to um, respect or to defer the decision of elders or those of their parents. And you will actually see American parents celebrating If a child finds his own way and makes his own decisions, they will celebrate this aspect and they will celebrate their independence. So another example of it, when I was working on on campus one college summer, and there was an exchange program where they had 20 uh, professors from China that came for the summer for an exchange program. These 20 professors were accomplished in their um, they were accomplished in their disciplines, they were accomplished in their fields, they were published, they were respected for their academic contributions that they have made. And while they were here in America, they decided that collectively that they wanted to learn how to play tennis. Hadn't played tennis before, that they wanted to take tennis and learn tennis lessons. And so what they decided to do is that in order to learn tennis, you have to have a tennis racket. So they picked one person to go to Dick's Sporting Goods, figure out which is the best tennis racket, and buy that tennis racket for all 20 people who are about to learn to play tennis. If you have gone to Little League T-Ball, there is hardly a child who does not have his own bat. He doesn't have his own unique bat because what if his needs are different? What if, his, um, what if he swings differently? What if he needs something with a slightly different grip? And the challenge of this is that my commitment, my commitment to my choice rebels against truly being a disciple of Jesus. There was a missionary in Indonesia serving there and he was serving in a village and he had been there for, for some time. And he came upon, he was brought into a discussion at a church, at the church he was helping with, because there was a really controversial issue that they were dealing with. And they were trying to decide what to do. And there was this couple, this Christian couple, who had decided that they, were, they, they had asked to join the church. And the leaders of the church and the church as a whole wasn't sure if they should let this couple join the church. And so the missionary was like, well, what's going on here? And they explained to them that this couple had been a part of their community for over 10 years now, that they had lived an exemplary life, that they were faithful to Scripture, they were faithful in worshiping, they had outstanding character. But the reason why they were in their village was because they had, they had committed a grievous sin and they fled the village that they came from. 
And so they're not sure if they should let them join their church after a decade of living with them and having exemplary Christian conduct. And finally, the missionary said, well, you have to, you have to explain this to me. What, what, exactly, what exactly is this grievous sin that, they, that this couple has done? And not really wanting to share another, another village's baggage, they eventually told him, well, they got married on the run. They, they, they eloped. We actually have a word for it. Their culture doesn't have a word for it. We have a word for it in our culture. They, they eloped. And so the, the discussion among the, the, the Christians in that, in that town was, well, I mean, they were Christians when they did this. They said that they were professing faith in Christ when they did this. And, and, then, and then they eloped. And so, and yes, of course, there's forgiveness. And of course, you know, there, there is a need for forgiveness. But, 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 if, but if they can't submit to their parents in the most important decision of their life, can we really believe that they're submitting to Jesus Christ? Is that possible? And the missionary was like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. And they said, well, haven't you read the New Testament? Haven't you read the Apostle Paul? Paul says, submit to your parents, obey your parents. And here's this couple who says they're Christians, and, and, they, and they don't do this. Now, we look at that and we say, oh, that's so cute. I mean, we celebrate that. We celebrate, well, maybe that's not the best way to go about it. But look, they found love. They found their soulmate. They found the one that they're looking for. We should celebrate this. And maybe their parents didn't like it, but this is who they were destined for. This is, this is, this is who they were meant to be with. You see, my celebration of my individual fulfillment rebels against truly being the disciple of Jesus. A missionary in Japan shared that in Japanese culture, there is a saying that the nail that sticks up the highest gets hammered down. The nail that pops up gets hammered down. Americans look at that saying, and what we say is, the nail that sticks up the highest, that's one brave nail. What a way to go. I mean, because you need to distinguish yourself. You need, to, you, need to, you need to make yourself, you need to be unique. You need to be different. You need to, you need to make yourself known because you're not like everybody else and you shouldn't be like everybody else. You need to find your own path. You should choose the road less traveled. Don't go along with what everyone else is doing. Don't conform. You need to be, di- you need to be different. But my quest to be distinguished and to be unique and to explain why the rules don't apply to me, rebels against truly being a disciple of Jesus. And it's involved and it's, it's inculcated, it's mixed in with our political ideologies. Even places on the opposite end of the, opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, look at the core commitments of the libertarians and the liberals. One political scientist in Summarizing libertarianism, he says this, libertarianism is the view that each man is the absolute owner of his life, and it is his to use and to dispose of his life as he sees fit. All social action should be voluntary and respect for every other man's, and, and respect for every other man's similar and equal ownership of life. Saying what's the core principle of libertarianism? It is individual liberty is the supreme political good. 
the political scientist goes on and then describes liberalism, particularly Western liberalism, not European liberalism. Western liberalism, individual autonomy, freedom from external authorities and norms, is the core belief of the liberal creed. Liberals believe that humans should be free to direct their own lives, and that should only be limited by the rights of other individuals. Is that both the liberals and the libertarians agree. Both of them are fierce advocates for individual liberty and personal freedom. The only difference between the two is clarifying what exactly is the role of the government and how the government is to bring about the individual liberty that they believe that the government should, in some way or another, secure for them in their policies or what they do. But they're both committed to unrestricted individual freedom. And the determination for under, unrestricted individual freedom rebels against truly being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We highlight all these different things, from the choice of lollipops that you have, to the tennis rackets that you choose, to how people find love in their life, to your role in society and how you make your, how you make your mark in this world, to our political ideologies. All of this stuff, our quest for, for independence, our quest for, to be an, a unique individual, this is the water in which we swim. This is, in what we, this is what we breathe, and this is what we celebrate. And it rebels against truly being a disciple of Jesus. And the problem of all that, as Jesus makes clear, is that its result is slavery. Is that such rebellion actually enslaves? Look at verse 32. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This has got to be one of the most ironic statements in all of Scripture. We are children of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Was there any global power that they were not enslaved to at some point? Right? I mean, they were slaves in Egypt, and then they came to Israel, and then they were enslaved by the Assyrians, and then they were enslaved by the Babylonians, and then they were subject to the Persians who conquered them and who ruled over them, and now they're living under the thumb and the oppressions of the Romans, who in just a few short years are going to come by and obliterate them. There is hardly anybody that they haven't been enslaved to. But you see, that's the nature of spiritual slavery, is you convince yourself that you're free. You convince yourself that you're actually not enslaved when you are enslaved. Like the alcoholic who says, well, I, I can stop at any time. Or the poor person who's continuing to look at pornography. It's not, it's not a problem. It, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a choice. I, I can stop. It doesn't rule me. Or the person who gossips and gossips. I, I, I would never gossip. I just tell people what they need to know. Or the person who is angry and perpetually angry, but my anger is righteous. There's reasons to get angry. It, it, it's a righteous anger that I have. Is that, that sin enslaves. And whatever it is that you're after, it enslaves you and you live in service to that. It can even be to your own, own independence. I'm not a slave to anything. I, I, I'm my own boss. I make, I, I make my own rules. Yet that too can be enslaving. There was a 
talk show some years ago where they were, the, the theme of the talk show was on older women who love younger men. And at one point in the talk show, they asked the older woman, they asked one of the older women, they said to her, aren't you afraid that he's going to leave you? And she said, he should be afraid that I'll leave him. He shouldn't build his life around me. And I shouldn't build my life around him. You shouldn't make anyone else your happiness. You must be your own happiness. Do you hear how she's enslaved to her independence? What she's saying here is she's saying, listen, i got to keep my options open. You know, I, I, I can't be too vulnerable here. You know, I got, I got to, you know, I'm not going to commit. I can't commit. I'm not going to commit because I got to maintain my independence. I, I mean, I, I don't care. I mean, I, he, he can't hurt me. He can't hurt me. So I'll close myself off and I'll convince myself that the position of strength is loneliness and being an emotional wall that nobody can get into and nobody can break through. Commitment to an independence is also slavery. And so the question becomes, as Jesus exposes it, is not, do you serve something? You do. The question is, what is it that you serve? What do you serve? And Jesus' point is that anything, anything that you are looking to to bring you freedom or the experience of freedom, anything you serve that is not God's Son, it won't make you free. It'll just make you enslaved. Well, where does that freedom come from? It comes from, and here Jesus tells us this in this verse. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I can stop at any time. I'm in control. But you keep doing it again and again and again. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the things that we look at that we think give us freedom actually produce more slavery. So where does it come from? Jesus' teaching is that true freedom comes from Jesus Christ. And notice how he he contrasts the relationship of the slave with the relationship of knowing the son. In verse 35, he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. He's drawing upon this believer imagery here, what he's described them is that a slave could say, hey, I'm in the household. I'm a part of the family. I go, to, I go to the festivals and celebrations. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you might, but the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The day is coming when you will be kicked out of the house. Yeah, I, yeah I'm a believer. Yeah, sure, I, I go to church. I, you know, I like, I get all kinds, there's all kinds of benefits from being a Christian or being a part of a Christian community. And Jesus says, no, the slave does not remain in the house forever. Those that are not truly his disciples, there is a day coming when the slaves will be removed. But here's where the true freedom comes from. Jesus says this, the son remains forever. The slave does not, but the son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's picking up this image of a household slave. And the only way for a slave to be set free would be for the heir of the house, the son, to grant Freedom. He says, so those that are enslaved are not free, but if the son, who is an heir of the house, who has the right to set you free, if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed, or you will be truly free. 
that the slave who is living in the house is not truly free. And Jesus purchased that freedom for us by taking the consequences and punishment of our sin and dying on the cross and rising from the grave to ransom us from sin and to purchase a place in heaven for us and to take the punishment that we deserve so that we truly could be set free. But here's what Jesus is clarifying, is that freedom comes not through self-expression, not through asserting our own independence. It comes not through finding our own path. You see, Jesus doesn't come to each one of us and say, okay, which lollipop would you like? You know, there's Jesus, and there's Buddha, and there's your own spiritual, spiritual, um, spiritual quest, and you can just kind of put these things together, and, and you just need to figure this out for yourself. No, what Scripture says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And he's telling us that not to quench your individual expression and your individual freedom, but to actually give it to you so that you would actually be set free. So that you would be set free from the power of sin and set free from the punishment of sin and that you would be set free to be a child of God. And it comes... By submitting to his lordship. You see, for the Christian, the day you relinquish your independence, the day you renounce your self-rule, and the day you renounce following your own distinguished path, the day you renounce your autonomy is the day you find freedom. Because freedom, true freedom, is not doing what you want whenever you want to do it. You've known people like that. That just produces more bondage. But true freedom is being freed from being controlled by the sinful desires of our own hearts. It is being freed to be who God made you to be and for that to become increasingly true in your life. It is the freedom to do what you ought to do and doing that becomes your greatest joy. That's freedom. But how is that experienced? Is it comes from Jesus Christ, but his freedom comes through his word. It comes from Jesus, but it comes through his word. Look at what he says to us. So the Jews said to Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You abide in my word, talking to those who say they're believers, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word here for abide, it means to, we don't use that word a whole lot, but it means to remain in. Uh, to abide means to persevere. You know, the noun form of abide is an abode, a dwelling. To abide is to make your home in, to make your home in Jesus' word, to make your uh, your life in his word, to dwell in it, to submit yourself to it, to obey it, to make Jesus, his word, to make it his word and abiding in his word, the major part of your week, the major part of your life, the major part of your home. 
that those who abide in Jesus' word seek to obey it, they, they submit themselves to it, they seek to better understand it, that this word becomes more precious, more controlling in their lives, even when tempted, that they hold to God's word, especially when there are forces and pressures from other people and from professors who would push you to abandon it. That's what it means to abide. And he says, abide in my word. And the amazing thing is that this is not a burden. It's actually God's grace to us. It's it's actually something that God gives us so that we would know him better and experience true freedom. And, And abiding in his word, it's not cumbersome. But consider the graciousness of God that actually gives us his word and gives us the word of Jesus Christ, gives us his word so that you would know freedom and that you would live in true freedom. It's because of this connection that Jesus says to believe in him and then to abide in his word. It is by abiding in his word that you know the truth and then the truth setting you free. Why it is such a priority in our church to know the word of God. To study it in Bible studies. To study it on your own. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, we'd love to get you one and and teach you how to use it. It's why we have our Illuminations Bible Memory Program for elementary school children and our middle school children and our middle school youth. So that they would know God's word, that the word would dwell within them, that it would be increasingly a part of their life, that it would be manifested in their life. Is that's by abiding in his word that true freedom comes. It comes through his word. And it is more important to abide in his word than to abide in the news. I mean, consider how many hours a week that you immerse yourself in the news. Or how many hours a week you immerse yourself on screen time or on Facebook or on Netflix. All these things that you immerse yourself in. In fact, your phone can even tell you how much screen time you actually put in your, your, your phone this week. And what Jesus is saying is that what you need to abide in is not your screen, but you actually need to abide in my word and put that into my practice. Because this is this point that clarifies the difference between the believers in this passage who Jesus calls children of the devil and those who are truly his disciples. Who are the ones who are truly Jesus' disciple? It is those who abide in his word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Who are truly his disciples? Those who abide in his word. That abiding in his word doesn't make you a disciple, but it is the result of those who are disciples. And the mark of a true disciple is abiding in his word plus time and persevering. You know, sometimes when people are wrestling with a sin or dealing with sin, and they, they, you know, they, they say, you know, I'm, I'm repentant, I'm so, re- I'm so repentant, I'm so sorrowful over my sin, I've really, I've really repented of, of, of this, you know, you need, to, you need to recognize how repentant I am. Ask me, show me in a year. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not diminishing the power of the moment that you have. But those who are disciples abide in his word. Repentance is is revealed over time. It is demonstrated over time. For Judas, it took three years of being with Jesus before it was exposed that this believer was not a believer. That he wasn't a disciple. 
It comes from committing ourselves through God's word. And it is freedom. This freedom actually comes through abiding in his word. I have this vacation, dream vacation fantasy in the back of my mind, which I periodically think about that I've thought about for years, is I would love to, to get a backpack and, and climb to a mountaintop with my skis in my backpack, you know, and spend, spend time hiking all the way up there and then getting to the top and skiing down on territory that no one's ever been on before, making completely fresh tracks. It'd be awesome. I mean, it'd be exhilarating. You know, and if I could get one of those people to helicopter me up and down, that'd probably be better than the 12-hour hike to the top. But, but, but and, you know, as a kid, I, I used to, like, I used to get the REI catalog, and I would look at these backpacks that had places for your skis, and I would see myself climbing to these mountain peaks and, and skiing down them. And you look at expert skiers, expert snowboarders, take your pick, and the freedom and exhilaration that they have of conquering any terrain, and the rush that they have of going wherever they want. But the reason why they have that freedom is because they submit themselves and they obey the rules. Is that they obey the laws of gravity and of physics. And they obey the design of their skis and how their skis were to be made and to be used and and when to cut and how hard to cut and and what type of bindings that you have. They obey the design of their skis. And they also have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced to get to the level where they could ski with such proficiency, where they could live, where they could thrive, where they could have immense freedom within the laws of physics and the laws of gravity and the laws of the way that their skis were designed. And they're practicing and practicing, practicing, What that required of them was to take, if you will, tactical losses of freedom for strategic gains of freedom. Is that they made decisions that they were going to spend time exercising and working out and maintaining their flexibility and maintaining their muscle tone and not doing a variety of other things so that they could experience the true freedom that they could gain if they achieved their goal. It's also, you notice that the way that it comes, where that freedom comes, it doesn't come from being on a textbook. Is that they could probably, before they put on a pair of skis, they probably could have explained the laws of gravity on a mountaintop and how it works. They probably could have explained the laws of physics and a level of them. Could have even described the way that skis work. They could have all kinds of knowledge and say, I believe, I believe in these things. They could have all kinds of knowledge of them, but they don't actually gain the freedom that the knowledge brings to them until they are practicing, 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 abiding and abiding and abiding and abiding and abiding in these rules and in these boundaries so that they can know and experience the true exhilaration and the true freedom. And knowledge of how those things work doesn't give them freedom. It gives them knowledge of where freedom would come from. 
But now the, the freedom actually comes from knowing the facts, but then abiding in it and how the skis work and how they need to bend their knees and how they need to bend their ankles and how they need to turn their hips and how they need to read the mountain. It's through abiding and practicing living within these laws that they gain and experience the true freedom. You see, freedom is not the removal of boundaries, but it is submitting to the right ones and submitting to the liberating boundaries. And that's what Jesus lays out for us here. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do you get, how, where does this freedom come from? This freedom comes from knowing the truth. How do you know the truth? Knowing the truth comes from abiding in his word. Is that truth is not just this intellectual concept, but truth is lived. It's as you live in the truth, as you abide in his word, as you practice his word, that's where you know the truth. You know the truth by practicing the truth, and by practicing the truth, then you actually experience the freedom that the truth promises. And Jesus says, if you're one who abides in my word, then you're one who is truly my disciple. And those who are truly my disciples will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Because they have believed in Jesus Christ, and they have submitted to his lordship. Here is his gracious invitation. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Be set free and abide in Jesus Christ.